Hello, and welcome to this Soulless Church podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We pray that God speaks to you today through this message. For more sermon content and information, visit soullesschurch.com. Luke chapter 2, picking up where Elena and the kids' choir left off there in verse 8. I think this, the verses will be on the screen as well. Uh, Luke writes, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now. Let us now go, rather, to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told to them concerning this child, and all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. This is the word of God for the people of God to which we say, thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful for this pause, this moment here on on such a special holiday. There's so much to be thankful for here in the Christmas season. But most of all, to remember you, Jesus, as the light that's come into the world to illuminate our lives, to change our lives. And we give you the permission, and we give you the space in our hearts, Lord, to do that tonight. We thank you for bringing us here. I thank you for every person that's here under the sound of my voice, and just ask, God, that you would bless us in your presence now. As we seek to hear from you, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through me to communicate this Christmas message. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to just give, for the the short moment that we have left here together, I want to give a quick Christmas message, a little Christmas Advent sermon to you from the long title of simply, An Angelic Birth Announcement to Behold. An Angelic Birth Announcement to Behold. That's what we have here in Luke chapter 2, the classic Christmas story uh, made popular mostly by Charlie Brown um, and Jesus too made it popular. But, but here in Luke 2, the classic Christmas story, we have a birth announcement unlike any before it or after it. Now, birth announcements are not just some old thing. Even today, there are birth announcements from all over the world. Um, I'm thinking of just even earlier this year in May, the great royal family, Meghan Markle, Prince Harry, giving the announcement, the birth announcement to thousands of onlookers. Um, They're present, millions of people watching online. Is it a boy or, or, or a girl? You know, the royal baby. My wife is like obsessed with the whole dynasty there, that whole world, all the shows. Uh, now, it's, it's not just TV and celebrities and royal figures that give their birth announcements. There's Instagram for that too. 
So I feel like every day I have some friend that's announcing a birth of another child. It's like, uh, it's kind of that, that stage right now. Me and all my friends are having kids. They just keep showing up at the door. Amazon Prime or something. They just keep showing up. We're just like, okay, come in. And, you know, constant birth announcements. And though uh, it may not be exactly the town crier saying, hear ye, hear ye, a new child has been born. Their Instagram has given us a way to have our own sort of digital town crier. And I'm guilty of this. I'm like sitting here pointing the finger. But all three of my kids got their own town crier through Instagram. I announced their birth. That's Judah, and there's Judah with Evie, and then our third, Penny. Not quite an angelic birth announcement, but I think it was a nice birth announcement. Also didn't get as many likes as Prince Harry, but that's okay. An angelic birth announcement to behold. Regardless of all the birth announcements, there's just no announcement of a birth like this, Uh, and three reasons why. First would be because of who's announcing it. Angels. That's a pretty epic birth announcement, okay? The English uh, crier, town crier, doesn't have anything on some angels, some messengers bringing some heavenly headlines to the people of Israel. Not only who's announcing this birth, but what about who it's for? This is interesting. This is a, a birth announcement that it says here in the text, it's for all people. Like right now as I'm talking about, you know, even my kids and, uh, you know, we talk about Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Some of you are like, who's Meghan Markle? I don't care about a Meghan Markle. I don't care about a Prince Harry. I don't care about a dynasty in England. Maybe you go, how does their birth apply to me? Well, we really could say that because the answer is it really doesn't, right? But the birth of Jesus, according to this text, it applies to everyone, to all people. And lastly, how about this reason for why it's so unique? Because of who it's about. This birth announcement isn't of any old child being born, any regular child, but this is a child that has great promise, and hope attached to his name. This is the Messiah. This is Savior. This is God becoming flesh. A unique announcement. It's why this is the only birth announcement that we are particularly called to behold, to behold, to fix our gaze, to focus on our eyes on the fact that Jesus has been born. Let's just behold a few things. That word is used actually twice in the text that we just read. So looking at this birth announcement, let's behold first. I want to start with the sequence of the scene. Let's take in our mind's eye the scene that's going on and watch the sequence of this play out. Let's behold this. It tells us this. Uh, Use our imagination a bit to kind of picture this. It says, in the same country, verse 8, there were shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. This could be a Netflix original kind of a TV series. This is about to get pretty epic. Uh, Shepherds in that culture were, um, with with every extent of this, they were kind of the lowest of the low of blue-collar workers. Usually a shepherd was somebody who didn't succeed at his passion or career in life or kind of was ostracized from society. They were known to be rather crooked and not trustworthy, and so they were shepherds. That's kind of how they were viewed. They were so looked down upon that they weren't even given an an admissible testimony in court. Nobody would even hear what they had to say in their testimony. Tough tough life as a shepherd. Um, It's about to get pretty crazy for these shepherds, though. They're out in the field keeping watch over their flock. It says, look at the scene play out, and behold, there's our word, the angel of the Lord, I love how nonchalant Luke gives this to us, stood before them. Like, how long was he standing there? That's my question. Was he listening to their conversation? Did he just kind of show up like some Star Wars, Obi-Wan Kenobi thing? Like, what exactly happened? Now, uh, it tells us that as the angel of the Lord stood there around them, uh, also you have the glory of the Lord shining. And it says this, that they were greatly afraid. Rightly so. 
I would be, you would be. In fact, have you ever actually been in this situation where you're in a room and you thought you were alone and then someone's standing? That's like our worst nightmare, isn't it? I think my worst nightmare, even as like a tough, I think I'm, I like have it all together and I have no fear as the dad of a household, you know, and I got the three kids. And even when I'm glo- you know, locking up at night, there's just those movies that replay in my head and I'm just waiting for someone to be standing there, you know? And that's kind of what happens here. Um, even as a young kid, I was always fascinated with just kind of the, the world of scaring things, and I was, I was a bit mischievous myself. My sister's here. She, she probably doesn't remember because she's blocked it out of her memory for, because of the trauma that it caused to her, but one of my favorite things to do was to be like these angels. I don't know what it was. Just, I'm just very angelic. I, um, I would find so much joy in just um, being in this situation where uh, she, she didn't, doesn't know I'm in the room, or doesn't, you know, and I just pop out and terrify her. One of my favorite things to do um, younger brothers, listen, um, is I would lay behind her pillows <laughs> on her bed. Whole new definition to a body pillow, doesn't it? And I would lay there, I'd probably fall asleep, like I'd give it a good hour, and so that, that she's like almost in REM, like, <laughs> you know, like I'm so safe, she said her prayers, and then I would just like, I'd be like this, so she'd be, and I would just fold my body on her. <laughs> this is the best So, now, I'm not as terrifying as an angel, so we can understand these shepherds being as freaked out as they are, not just because of the sudden surprise of a presence, but whose presence it is. It's an angel, and let's remember, angels in scripture, they're not what pop culture has made them. We know this, right, that angels are not these sort of um, cute, cuddly, baby, cloud harpist things. They are militaristic beings, spiritual beings from this invisible realm even that are uh, beyond any, any you know, imagination to fathom the majesty and the magnitude of them. Anytime there's a human interaction in scripture or in history with some sort of spiritual being like this, the natural response is always to fall down in terror. It's not touched by an angel. Okay, it's not like, oh, hey, oh, you're an angel. Nice to meet you. Let's go get coffee, angel. It's like, please don't kill me. I'm terrified. And so that's why these shepherds are so freaked out. And not only that, but as we follow the sequence here, it's more than just the angel's presence. It says that the glory of the Lord shone around them. An interesting concept. This is also used in scripture a lot, the glory of God. There's been a lot of great Um, explanations of what this means. I think one of the best uh, illustrations I've heard to think about what does the Bible mean when it talks about the glory of God is think about God as the sun and his glory is the sun rays. It's emanating from his person. So all that God is in as loving, as pure, as perfect, just imagine the most perfect, most wonderful, most magnificent being in the world, and what shines forth from his very essence and nature is his glory. And if you, like these angels, are like me or like you, a sinner, and you come into contact with this perfect, beautiful light, you will be terrified in reality of what you're facing knowing that there's not any holiness in us to stand before this magnificent light. So that's the sequence as it plays out. But notice what the angels say. It tells us this as we're beholding this. Verse 10, look at what it says. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Now, it's like, well, you're scary. Like, so part of me is like, well, don't be so scary if you don't want to be so afraid. But there's a reason why they're saying this. Uh, and this is the next thing for us to behold. The reason why these angels are able to say 
to these shepherds, despite how terrifying this may be, the reason why you don't have to be afraid is because of this news. That's the second thing. We should behold the nature of the news that these angels brought. Uh, These angels said, don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. So these are some messenger angels, as we said, with some headlines from heaven. And they're saying, don't worry, don't freak out. I understand that you're afraid, but don't be afraid. I come to bring you a message, and it's a good message. That's the nature of the news. That, That news could have been any other thing. I mean, really, as those who have sinned against God, as those who aren't perfect, we very well could have heard a message of judgment. Those angels could have heard a lot of other things, but the nature of their news, uh, it involved these three great things that we celebrate here as Christmas. This is why we are really happy about God, because the nature of that news is good. It's good news of great joy, and I love this, for all people. This is the nature of that news. It's the best first, the best kind of news, isn't it? There's nothing like good news. We might be able to understand this because we know a We're a lot more familiar with what it's like to hear bad news. Most of the time when we turn on the TV, it's, you know, the news station doesn't get their ratings up through reporting good news. It just doesn't sell as much. I think in our sort of like pessimistic mindsets, the the media capitalizes on what's scary, what's terrifying, what's bad, and what's sad. And not just the news outlets. I mean, let's just talk about regular life. Life is really difficult when it comes to the bad news that we can hear. Like Sometimes, I don't know if you've ever been there, I've been like knocked off my rocker. I've been spun all around spiritually and just emotionally when I heard news of something I never expected to happen. There's nothing like having to deal with bad news. And in a world of bad news, these angels, they bring the best kind of news, which is good news. I wonder if you know that today, that the Christian faith is a message of good news. In a world of bad news and sad news and even fake news, uh, the world gets a message of good news from these angels. Now, it's not just what it is good news, but what it brings. This is what what good news brings. It brings great joy compared to great sorrow. This is the best feeling of life, to be elated in joy. And here's the best opportunity, the best offer is who it's for, for everyone. This is not relative good news. This is not good if you earn it. This is not good news if you recognize it. This is absolutely good news. I love this for all people. This brings us back to our first idea. The other, in other words, there is nobody who doesn't need to hear this news, all people, nor is there anybody who doesn't get to. Let me say that again. There's nobody that doesn't need to hear this good news of Jesus And there's nobody that doesn't get to because you're one of those kinds of people, not these kinds of people. Like even right now, maybe you go, I'm not one of these kinds of people. I'm not really a church, especially on a Tuesday night kind of a person. And the gospel says this, listen, you don't have to be a kind of person to be loved by God and to receive his good news. Here's the good news. It's for all people, all people who God has made in his very image. That's the nature of the news. It's good news of great joy for every single person in this room, every last one of us. Now, you're probably familiar with a word that we derive from this idea of this headline from heaven, and it's the word gospel. Have you heard the word gospel before? It's often relegated to uh, Kanye West's new recent favorite kind of music, which is not exactly, it's a lot, lot of, we'll, we'll stop talking about Kanye West. Okay, um, 
But, or you, you might have uh, kind of relegated it to a, a type of culture, a type of church, but gospel in its very essence, the word itself literally means, it comes from this word, good news. Good news. I wonder if you know the Christian faith to be that. Maybe you know it more about like good advice. This is what you should do. The Christian faith, they got some great advice. You're poor? Here's some great advice. You're trying to get in a relationship? Here's some great advice. Now, don't get me wrong. The word of God is filled with all sorts of riches of wisdom for everyday life. But can we understand this? That the Christian faith is not about good advice. The Christian faith is about good news. It's an announcement of something that has happened, not advice for what needs to happen. Now, this leads us to the third idea, which would ask this question. In light of the nature of this news, what is then, number three, let's behold this, the material of the message. In other words, what is the news? What's the news report coming from heaven that's of great joy for all people? Verse 11, here it is. Here's the material of this message. There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And you will find him lying in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes, and that will be the sign to you. But here's the message of good news that brings great joy, and it's for all people, that there has been a child, and this birth is different than Prince Harry's child, different than Andrew's children, different than all of us who have been born. You see, this birth, it's a gift to everyone. He has been born to you. Unto us, a son is given. And the best news about this son is who he is. He is three things listed here. He is Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Savior, Christ the Lord, here's the material, here's the good news. First, Jesus is a Savior. A Savior has been born. This speaks to, listen, what we needed. This is how God deals with us. We know this, he's good. So God doesn't deal with us in regards to what we think we want from him or what or what what we desire from him. God is so good that he takes care of what he knows we most desperately need. Any good parent does that, right? So my, my six-year-old Judah asked me, Dad, can I drive your car? He's going to say, I know that you want to do that, but because I love you, here's what you need. Here's a bike, you know what I mean? Like, let me take care of what you need. Now, that's a good parent. That's God. So God, when he sent his son Jesus into the world, he didn't give us some sort of secondary solution He provided what we almost desperately needed, a savior. You know what this speaks to? This speaks to the simple reality. Human beings are imperfect. Imperfect. Religious or not, irreligious or not, moral, if you think yourself moral or not, there's this beautiful humility that the Christian faith must acknowledge. There is not one person in here that's better than anyone else. And any other Christian faith that you have been taught is not Jesus. Any faith that says you got to do these things, do those things, and then you can save yourself, that's not the message of the gospel. Here's the truth of Scripture. It's a hard truth, but it'll be a life-saving truth if you can be honest about it. You and I are imperfect, and that imperfection is called sin. It's sin. That's the word for it. It's not a commonly used word because in our day and age, we don't really like to put labels and definitions on what's right and what's wrong, but there is this absolute truth that determines what is right and wrong. It comes from the very nature of who God is because he is good, he is righteous, and we have all, the Bible says, sinned and fallen short of that standard. Every one of us. Every one of us. When we measure ourselves according to each other, we might think we have a little bit of it together. We go to church more often. We're a better neighbor than our neighbor. We treat our wives better or our husbands better. We don't cheat like that person. 
But you see, God doesn't judge us. God doesn't measure our righteousness comparatively to each other. He holds us to the standard of his own holiness. We were created for him and his glory, and we can't even begin to fathom what it's like to commit a cosmic offense and to sin against such a great being like that. But the Bible describes the language of this. It's called sin. That's the issue, and the problem it creates is an even worse thing, and it's separation. In the beginning of all things, we know that God, all the things that we know are good about life and desire about life, those are the things that God built into this world and built into us. God created a world that was so rightly set towards a vision of flourishing and beauty and blessing and justice and mercy and complementing each other and serving one another, but as sin broke into the picture, everything fell apart. This is a broken system. It's a broken world. There's separation every corner that you turn, separation relationally between each other, there's separation in families, there's separation uh, just even in regards to our own identities, like who are we? But the biggest reality of this is how the Bible describes our separation from God. In Isaiah, the Bible says that it's not, our, it's not that God's arm is, is too short that it can't reach out to save us. Or that his ear is too heavy that when we're calling out to him to save us that, that, that he can't hear us. What, what's actually separated us from God, the Bible says it this way, is not God at all, but it's ourselves. We've separated ourselves from God. We've sinned against God. We need, listen, who Jesus is, a savior. He's a savior. He's what we needed. God provided us a savior to save us from our sins and to save us from that gap of our relationship with God, to bridge the gap that was broken through our own sin. Now he's also, notice this, he's also the Christ. So a savior is what we needed, but a Christ is what God promised. This is what is, is constant about God in the Bible. Okay, here's, if you want to know the Bible, quick crash course in the Bible. We mess things up, God makes them right. Let me actually notice like their life kind of following the same trajectory. Just me. Okay. Um, that's our tendency. That's the story of life. God creates us for such a great purpose, a great destiny. We mess the thing up when we turn away from him. But what's so amazing about this God is he doesn't leave us to our own destruction because he's a God of tremendous love. We talked a moment ago. He's a God of justice and righteousness. As we want him to be, he will judge sin. But he's also a God of mercy and grace. And so though we have become his enemies in our sin, the Bible teaches a God who loves his enemies, who makes his enemies his friends. He promises, listen, I know you've messed this up, but because I love you, here's the story of the Bible, God promising to make it right through a Savior, through a Christ. Now Christ also comes from Messiah. Christos in the Greek, Mashiach in the Hebrew, it speaks of the promised one that would be our Savior. And here's what we know about Christmas, and here's what we know about God. God keeps his promises. Despite who's let you down, God is always faithful to keep his promises. We have a Savior who is Christ, and I love this last thing. He's the Lord. He's the Lord. Savior speaks to what we needed. Christ speaks to who God promised. But Lord speaks to, listen, who we needed, who we needed. What we needed was a savior, but you know what we find as we try to save ourselves? We need someone other than ourselves, right? Think of someone who's drowning in the middle of the ocean. The only hope for that person is an external intervention. If man could save themselves, Jesus wouldn't have come. But because Jesus has come to seek and to save that which is lost, 
we can be saved. You see, Jesus is not just a good man, a good teacher, a promised political figure. This is what's central to the Christian faith. Jesus is Lord. He's Lord. He's Lord of your life and my life. We're going to all bow a knee to him one day. Whether you do it willingly or not, it doesn't change. Whether or not he or you are making him the Lord of your life doesn't change the fact that he is the Lord of your life. He's Lord. And think about what, uh, what, what kind of Lord is there like this. A Lord who is God. The Bible teaches that Christmas is about God becoming a man. The Lord becoming a servant. You've never seen a leader like this. The Lord himself who did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for you and me. This is God, the only one who could save us. And that's what Christmas is about. That is the gospel. That is the good news that Jesus has been born and he is all that we need him to be to be right with God. He is the savior, what we needed. He is a Christ, what God promised. And he is the Lord, he's who we need. We need God to save us. One of the greatest confessions that you could ever make in your life is, God, I give up. I cannot make myself right with you on my own. I can't pick up the, these broken pieces on my own. When I look at Christmas, I see that, God, you have come to restore me. You have come to save me. You have come to do for me what I could never do for myself. This is Jesus, and this is gospel. So we also know how he does this, right? This Savior, it's not just a baby who's a Savior. Okay, we're saved. There's a baby, we know that this, this rejoicing, the great joy that comes through the Savior is that this baby, it has a destiny. Jesus, he was born, and we rejoice in that as our Savior because we know he would go on to live. This is, this is what he would do to save us. He would live a sinless life, the only one to make that mark, to hit that mark, to be sinless, fully God, fully man, sinless. He was always the one to look at the overlooked he was always there. He was always faithful. And so when he stood in Pilate's courts, they said, we can find no fault in him. There's nothing wrong with this guy. He's God in the flesh. He's holy. He's perfect. He lives and then he dies. Historical fact, Jesus was crucified. Theological fact, Jesus was crucified for your sin and my sin. Jesus went to a cross as a sinless man, as God in the flesh, to switch places with you and me because God has a mega love for you. The Bible says that he, God, made Jesus sin, uh, Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is the gospel, that God's love is more powerful than our ability to push him away. So he sends Jesus to trade places with us, to die and then to rise, defeating death. The best news about Christmas is that Easter's coming, which makes me twitch a little bit. It's okay, but... The good news of the gospel is that after his birth, following his life, following his death, came his resurrection, his victory over the grave, and he has ascended to the right hand of the Father, and this Savior who was born is now a Savior who is seated at the right hand of God, and he's looking, and, and he is leading, and he, is, he has his spirit at work for any to call on him to be saved. That's where I'll, I'll close out. I'll invite the band to come up here as we close. The, the last thing that we can behold here on this Christmas Eve is we can behold these shepherds' response to this report. Without reading it, what I really love about these shepherds is that they don't just take the angel's word for it. Like I would have. Like you're an angel. I think I'm going to believe you. What you're saying is probably true. Please don't kill me, right? 
But what's amazing is that they take what's been reported and they respond to this report of a Savior by going to see for themselves. They investigated for themselves to see this child. I love it. They, it tells us that in verse, I believe it's um, 15. They go, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing. It's like a bunch of college guys. I just picture them like, let's go, let's go see this thing, man. All right, a bunch of angels just told us there's like a Savior. Let's go, right? I love that. They're like, let's go check this thing out. And what do they do when they go investigate? As they go on a search, they come to find the Savior. And their lives are changed. People around them, their lives are changed. This is what happens when God gets a hold of your life. It's a ripple effect. And they're, they, they're led to glorify and praise God. They're different because of it. Listen, because of their response. Now, This is what the gospel of Jesus leads to. It's meant to lead to in our lives. It's meant to lead to more than us just knowing that Jesus is the Savior. But listen, salvation, listen, salvation for you, you being made right with God through Jesus, doesn't come from you sitting here and hearing me talk about it. It comes through you responding to it and putting your faith in Jesus. This is a weight I've learned to have lifted off of my shoulders as a pastor it's my job to do everything I can, but I can't do what only God can do. And so my job is to faithfully proclaim the gospel. But what, listen, what really makes the word of God transform your life is when you respond to it. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus. You don't just know that he's a savior, but like these shepherds, you look for him. You go, Jesus, are you my savior? I want to investigate you. Which says a lot, by the way, about the Christian faith. The Christian faith is not just these random reported claims that you're to blindly adhere to. The God of the Bible invites you, invites me. He says, come, come see. Come investigate. Come search out everything you've heard about God. Look at history. Research this stuff. Jesus really lived. Jesus really rose. But, but it's so much more than that. It's about faith, trusting in this Jesus, trusting in the Savior. Um, these shepherds are a great example for us, the way that they respond. And I wonder today, for many of us, our problem is not that we don't know the Christmas message. Our problem is not that we don't know the, the Christian gospel. Here's the question. How have you responded to it? Maybe that's your problem. Not just your response. Maybe your lack of response. And that is what God calls on. Here's this great invitation. This is for me, this is a life verse. This is a verse for me that was transformative in me really giving my whole life and my future to the way of Jesus. It's Psalm 34, 8, which is this great invitation. It says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's a step of faith. It's like, uh, take a bite of this. You're like, what is it? Just open your mouth and take a bite. It's like, whoa, taste. I, I want to see, no, no, notice the order. Taste, trust you will see this great invitation to come see through your faith in Jesus. I want to just remind us all today, wherever you're at with Jesus here on Christmas, the message of Christmas is that God made a way for you to be right with God through his son, Jesus. And it's not about you working your way to earn his love. It's about responding, just like these shepherds, responding to his love by trusting in Jesus, looking to Jesus. Maybe you've seen this scripture before. It's called John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that Christmas happened. A savior to be born. 
who is Christ the Lord for you and for me. Thanks again for tuning in. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. If you'd like to visit us in person, we gather at Don Estridge High Tech Middle School in Boca Raton, Florida, every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more sermon content and information, you can check out solaschurch.com.